G'day there, everybody. Welcome along again. It is the Motor Focus Model Podcast, episode 12. I haven't thought of a number 12 from racing history. Let's say that this is the Willpower Indy 500 commemoration uh, episode. Does that sound good to you, Dimitri Camino? Let's give Willpower the bragging rights of episode 12. G'day, Nones. Yeah, that, look, that's fair enough. I, w- I was thinking in recognition of Fabian's recent news, we could have gone the, the car 12, but hey, Either way, we're uh, showing some respect to someone. True, we're all about the respect, but I reckon I've got half a feeling with Penske gone from DJR, that 12 is a Penske number. I don't think you'll see that with that team next year. I reckon they're up for a number change there just quietly for one of their incoming pilots. But enough of that, let's sort model cars. That's what we're all about on the Motor Focus Model podcast. And uh, wow. Your arrival list is pretty long this week. Um, now, the other part of this that I thought was really cool is 2019 Red Bull Holden Racing Team cars. You've got yourself some Sandown 500 winners of Craig Lance and Jamie Winkup. Uh, a bit of Code 3 action going on at Motor Focus. This is cool. Yeah, correct, Noons. Um, we had the opportunity to uh, uh, utilise some of our leftover stock and um, with in conjunction with our great Code 3 man, uh, Greg Ralph from GR Diecast Customs. He's um, taken on the project and, and turned Wind Cup's car into the 2019 Sandown winner, which was Leon's Wind Cup. Uh, so I thought it was a pretty cool car to do because it was the last Sandown winner. Um, they won the Pertec Cup trophy as well. So... The changes that you'll see on those cars are obviously the triple eight car number. We've got both drivers' names. There's the front and rear window banners, the Sandown 500 event sticker on the door, and the little Mike Raymond tribute sticker is even there. Cool. That's, that's coming in one eighteenth. We've got it as well as one forty third now. But you've also got a, a little addition there, the Pertec Enduro Cup trophy, uh, which is a it's a really interesting trophy. It's like this triangular tall thing that is made up of nuts and bolts and all sorts of things that they've put together. I reckon that's going to be hard to replicate, but the 118th comes with a scale model of the Pertec Enduro Cup trophy. Yeah, that's correct. Our, our talented mate from uh, Western Australia, Dion, has um, put together a, a scaled uh, Pertec Cup trophy. And uh, yes, like you say, we, we've included that in the deal on that one as well. So 229 for the 118th. What's the 143rd? Uh, it's just 49.99. Okay. No trophy with that one because I don't think we would uh, be able to see it. <laughs> it's a little bit too small. Uh, you've also done some Code 3 work with another of the Red Bull cars. So the, the Shane Van Gisberg and Garth Tander number 97 car. So you've built a Gold Coast 600 winning version of that car. Remember that they were on target to win Sandown. They were doing it easy and just about had a hand on the trophy until the rear end collapsed with, I think it was like 10 laps to go, 12 laps to go. Lowndes and Winkup won the race, but they, they did get a surfboard trophy on the Gold Coast uh, a, a bit earlier. Uh, of course, Sandown was after Gold Coast last year in a bit of a calendar reshuffle. But uh, if you're a Giz and uh, Tanda fan and you like something a bit different, a Gold Coast 600 version 97 car is, is something you've also come up with. Yeah, correct. So again, we looked at what we could do there and, um, you know, there wasn't any other sort of uh, thing, well, significant car we could do. So the best results that they got was 
was at uh, Gold Coast. They come second on the Saturday and they won on Sunday. So the changes that we've uh, put to that car is obviously both names on the, on the side window. Again, the front and rear window banners, the Gold Coast 600 event sticker on the door and uh, the rear wing decal was different as well from the start of the season cars. One for the Red Bull HRT fans to make sure that they add to their collections. Uh, from Classic Collectibles, there is also some uh, road car stuff and a Peter Brock Touring Car Championship runner-up as well. Yeah, uh, shipment this month included the Holden HZ GDS in the Jasmine Yellow. It's quite a striking combination of colours there. The Ford XW Falcon GDHO Phase 2 in Reef Green. And there was the race car of Peter Brock's uh, Holden VH Commodore. So this was the 1984 touring car, uh, second place car, as opposed to uh, when he went to Bathurst, he had changed to the, to the VK. So those three are available and out in the market now. Of course, you jump on motorfocus.com.au, join the collector's club to get 5% discount. It is the must-do, must-thing. Uh, Bianti slash Apex, of course, Apex purchased in recent years by Bianti. Uh, they've got um, Pete Gagan Mustang winner as well, touring car championship winning car. Yeah, the 1968 touring car championship winner's out now. It's, uh, it's a beautiful, it's, it is a resin model, uh, but... Very well uh, crafted with the with the Castrol sponsored uh, livery, so that's uh, definitely one to add to people's uh, championship winning collections. I know there's a lot of people who collect theme based, whether it's Bathurst winners, championship winners, and some of the holes in those programs uh, that will fill one for those who love their Australian touring car championship winners. Of course, Pete Gagan's Mustang, iconic car, and it won so many races and a bunch of those Australian Touring Car Championships. That was the last year, 68, that the championship was decided by a single race rather than a series of races over the course of the year. Could you imagine the bun fight these days if we had one race to determine the Supercars champion? The outrage. But it was normal back then. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, a bizarre championship. <laughs> yeah, a, a very short, sharp cha championship indeed. Uh, some pre-order items uh, announced to... Of course, everyone post Bathurst 1000 is uh, clamouring and ready and waiting for what's going to happen. Of course, uh, victory to Van Gisbergen and Tander and the Red Bull Holden Racing Team for Triple Eight. Classic have the rights to make those cars, and indeed they've confirmed and announced that they're going to build uh, both of those cars. The 97 car with Tander Van Gisbergen, of course, the winner, and the Triple Eight car of, of Lounsel Wink Up as well. Yeah, correct. Look... Look, most collectors will know that the order forms are out there, but um, we've, we've, we've got a cover off on this car being uh, the last official hold until to win Bathurst. So already been a huge response. Um, I think there's going to be four or 5,000 made, at, at my guess, at this stage of the Bathurst winner. So it's available in all three scales. And uh, also the 888 car of Lowndes and, and Win Cup is available in all three scales for pre-order right now. I reckon there's some people who love their small elements that they put with their model cars, the trophies, the winning posters. Don't you reckon someone has already measured up how to make that Holden flag that Van Gisbergen drove around with? That's a great point and one I just totally forgot. The 118th version of the Bathurst winner will come with... Ah, uh, oh, it does. Yeah. Flag, ah. 
and also also the um, newspaper cover thing. So we put in a request there for Classics to 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 look at doing that, and um, they they've come up with the with the goods there. And would I presume as well that the Peter Brock Trophy will be part of that model? Uh, unfortunately, I, it won't be. Uh, Classics stopped doing the trophies uh, quite a few years ago, so. There's a chance that um, we're going to have some some of those trophies available through a, through another way in in the near future anyway. So unfortunately, yeah, it won't come with it, but we should be able to help people out down the track. Okay, and there's also a ZB Commodore uh, Holden Bathurst Wings commemorative livery that's uh, a bit of red, bit of white, with all the Bathurst victory years listed on it, just in the one eighteen scale. So. How do you think cars like that go versus, obviously the real car is significant, but these special commemorative liveries, we've seen them. Uh, I remember when Craig Lowndes retired, there was the little 143rd box set of uh, the gold Autobahn car from Newcastle, but a red Commodore and a blue Falcon to represent how many wins he'd had for both of those brands in his career to that point. How do you feel these will be received by collectors and what sort of response have you had so far to it? And, and perhaps just explain a little bit more about what it looks like, what's on it. Yeah, so classic collectibles have always been quite proactive with these sort of uh, commemorative cars and, and sort of significant sort of paying homage to, to people's careers like the Lowndes one. So, yeah, this one's got the, the thanks Holden fans down the side with the, the iconic Holden logo. Uh, and then over the roof and down the bonnet, they're listing all the Holden Bathurst victories. So when I saw it, I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. But the response has just been amazing. You know, we've actually got more orders for that car than the Triple Eight car of Lowndes and Wind Cup, which, which blew me away. Wow. It goes to show you that uh, everyone's really jumped on board this end of factory Holdens. Yes, there will be Commodores in the Supercars Championship for one more season, but of course the brand Holden uh, no longer exists, so they won't have factory backing. It'll be... I'm interested to know whether any teams take the badge off the front of their car, given that no longer Holden will be supplying or supporting any of them. That's that's an interesting one. Uh, we've talked in recent weeks about celebration tribute uh, cars, and there's also a bit of news on the 1995 Bathurst winning VR Commodore, the Castrol car of Larry Perkins and Russell Ingle. As part of that 20th, uh, sorry, 25th anniversary celebration, uh, 25 years is silver in terms of anniversaries. If there's anyone out there that is approaching their 25th wedding anniversary or similar, uh, don't forget, you'll get in trouble. But this is the next in the line. We've seen the Moffat Gold and the beachy gold Monaro or Falcon and Monaro respectively, this is the next one from the, the classic line of, I guess we'd call them commemorative cars. Yeah, that's correct, Noons. Um, like you said, we touched on this a few pods ago, and um, so finally they've announced the, the very first one of that uh, 25th anniversary series. So the, the Perkins Ingle 1995 Bathurst winner will be the one. Um, the, the sort of response for the gold cars has been pretty good. So we'll see how the uh, the silver cars go. We will. We will. Uh, a couple of little things too before we jump into questions. Uh, Authentic Collectibles, of course, they look after DJR Tim Penske. They also have Tickford. Uh, we've talked in the past with Will Hall about uh, their business, 
where things are coming, but you're expecting a, a few order forms and some announcements from them pretty soon off the back of Bathurst. Yeah, for sure. Um, they, they've just announced a couple of uh, limited edition prints. So we've got the Shell V-Power uh, Scott McLaughlin 3-peat for 17. And we've also got a pretty cool print called a Monster Lap of Bathurst, which is obviously Cameron Waters' uh, 2020 Bathurst 1000 pole position uh, print. Uh, I think we will get a, an order form for some Mustangs from Authentics any day. That's the word we're hearing. Um, so just keep an eye on our uh, pre-order section and we'll definitely mention it uh, in the next podcast, hopefully, that, that they're up. Also, I just wanted to mention I'm seeing a bit of information getting around about uh, Scott McLaughlin's IndyCar models. So people wondering if it's going to happen. So it, it definitely will be happening. Greenlight already make uh, IndyCars. So it's just a matter of uh, all that licensing um, jargon to go on behind the scenes and uh, they can start to plan uh, some, some, some cars for our collections to continue. Really, the IndyCar is a on on the outside on the the main surface. Everyone runs the same chassis. It's a Delara chassis, so uh, there'd be underneath the skin differences between all the cars from all the teams. But from the point of view of a mass-produced model, I would have thought that doing a different version of the same car when when you got the same base car for all teams would be quite easy to do. So we'd expect to see some Scotty McLaughlinness, and I guess. The beauty of Team Penske over the years is they tend to run different liveries for each of their different cars during the year with different rotating sponsors. So there'll be the opportunity for different versions and also the oval course car versus the road course car. So there'll be a few different ones there. Let's bow into our listener questions. And first up, Innes Price asks for a question that is kind of aimed at Bianti, but you might be able to answer it. Do they have any more plans to make any more 118th EB Falcons? He's thinking that he'd like to see the Fuddruckers Stephen Johnson car, the DJR Touring Car Championship cars from 1994, and the Bathurst pole sitting car of um, Glenn Seaton and Paul Radisic, the Peter Jackson car. Any chance? Do they still have the mould? What's going on there? Is that possible? Yeah, good news for Innes. Uh, they certainly have plans to do a lot more of those uh, EB Falcons. So I can't sort of tell you what right now, but... It's, it's an absolute uh, no-brainer for them. And, and Richard has mentioned in the past that there certainly will be more to come. Okay, that's good news. I like the sound of that. Anytime you can ha- have an excuse to say Fuddruckers is not a bad one. So uh, yeah. Gary Nolan, Gary Nolan's next. Uh, this is not a crack. This is a genuine question. He's asking, why does Bianti ask for full payment up front? He said, look, I'm not picking on them. They do a brilliant job but surely upfront payment has to discourage more than encourage. He doesn't think it's as bad for 118th because he feels they take preference these days. But as a 143rd collector, some releases take a fair while. So if he pre-orders three or four models, that's, you know, it's a decent sort of an outlay and it can easily be a year or two or more before they get manufactured if they go ahead at all. So if people aren't prepared to pay up front, no pre-order, not enough orders to go ahead with manufacturing, bit of a catch 22. He feels like a, a deposit certainly is the case, but, why do they ask for, for full payment up, up front? Yeah, look, I can't fully speak on behalf of Bianti on this one, but, uh, you know, getting a payment uh, up front is just all about that commitment and uh, knowing that the customer isn't going to uh, cancel on release. So 
that's kind of the direction they've, they've headed in at this point in time. Um, you know, and as far as our hobby goes, prepaying and deposits, uh, there are some retailers that do enforce that uh, and, and that's fair enough for, for their business. Um, motor Focus, you know, we've, we've gone down the path of no deposits required. Uh, that's, you know, we just ask for your, your, your interest there and, and uh, we hope that you take it. Um, when the models arrive, we do hold them for two weeks and, and if it's not picked up or, or put on lay-by, then, then we move on. Um, so, you know, they're the sort of different ways that uh, our, our hobby is, is dealing with pre-orders. So, you know, if it suits people to pay up front, that's fine, um, but it's not something that we do. Okay. He's got a second part of the question, but it's, it's actually aimed at me. How about a book on all the Bathurst winning cars? What happened to them afterwards? What else did they win? Are they still with us? If not, what happened to them? If they are, where are they? Yes, definitely. It's on the list uh, to do at some point down the track. But he says a further extension, maybe you could do something about who made the model cars for each of the Bathurst winners. Now, uh, we would look at maybe rolling that into a book like that. But of course, we're covering it here on the podcast in uh, this week and upcoming weeks at the second hand market. So we'll, we'll cover that off very shortly and move into that next era of cars that we'll cover. Uh, Rob Thompson is a regular listener. He says, oh, this is an interesting one, more a storage question than anything. Dim, how long do you think a diecast model lasts in storage in its box compared to a model on display in a display cabinet? How many years do you think it'll hold up before you start to see some uh, display wear. And by the way, no luck selling his unicorn car, that Johnson Johnson Lounge, Shell Helix AU Falcon, that we mentioned a few pods ago. Yeah, we might, we may have given him a bit of a higher end of the spectrum with, with the value of, of his rare car there. So, but uh, I'm sure he'll keep trying and uh, see what happens. Uh, now, will they last longer in a box? I think they should. Uh, it's only the elements that can can change the quality of, of our models, I believe. So, if if a model is in a in a good cabinet, you know it's out of direct sunlight. You know there's no moisture issues, there's no heat issues. I don't think there would be a big difference, you know, if if a model was kept in its box for 20 years as opposed to in a cabinet for 20 years. Um, I would always encourage people to display them and, and enjoy them and, and definitely get their value out of, of having those those models, um, you know, by seeing them. That's one of those things. If you're going to have it, you want to see it. It looks better in a display cabinet than a whole pile of boxes <laughs> sitting on a shelf somewhere. So I say get them out. I think if you handle them with care and you've got them in a smart location and, as you say, there's no direct sunlight on them or any uh, situations that are going to give you a scenario that uh, there's the opportunity for damage or sunlight or moisture or rapid rises and falls in temperature, I, I think you're going to be pretty good. Shane will finish us off with his last question. Uh, is there going to be a Bathurst release of Rick Kelly's last race? Of course, the Castrol Mustang with the, well, our faces, you and me both, uh, among the thousands of fans who were put on that livery of that car. Yeah, look, we, we really hope that model gets made. Uh, Bianchi are definitely looking at making it. Uh, so they're just talking with the factories at this stage of, of is it possible to reproduce such a intricate sort of livery car and, and 
without it just sort of kind of looking like a, a dirty green car. You know, that's going to be the challenge. So uh, being looked at at the moment, but um, no word on it as yet. Okay, we'll wait and see what BNT come out with in terms of, of releases of cars from, from Bathurst and, and that Rick Kelly Mustang. Let's bowl into the second-hand market. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it rolling. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look from 1971 to 1980 of Bathurst 500 slash 1,000 winners, uh, what they're going for, what you could ask for them if you own one and look to sell. A lot of these cars, Dim, along the journey have been made by both uh, Bianti and Classics over the years, but it doesn't really seem to have affected much of the value. So let's start with perhaps the, the muscle car of all muscle cars, the Phase 3 GDHO that Alan Moffat used to win the 71 race in. Bianti did a run of 6,000 of that car, and Classics did a run of 6,500. The Bianti one does have the signed certificate um, signed by Alan, of course, a long-term uh, Bianti man. But they're still going for, what, six, $700, even though there's a combined 12,500 of those cars out there. Yeah, that's correct. That's where I sort of see a fair value. Uh, obviously, the Bianti one, you know, was made a very long time ago. It was the very first uh, race car made in Australian content. Um, it, it used to be a $1,200, $1,400 model, but, you know, with the advent of the classic collectible one, it did affect the price. Uh, and I think they've they've sort of settled both in, in similar price range there. And uh, obviously, you know, some people like the, the science certificate. Uh, some people may like the slightly more detailed classic collectible model. 72 is another one, Peter Brock. HDT, XU1LJ, Tirana. Wow, Bianti did 12,000 of those cars. Classic's done six and a half, and it's still pulling good money. That uh, first of nine wins for Brock in the great race. Yeah, that's a staggering amount, isn't it? The, the, the 12,000 uh, that Bianti did way back in the day. At, um, the popularity of, of, the, of that car and uh, obviously Peter Brock. So, you know, both examples I'm going to just throw in there at the five to $600 mark at the moment, but I think we'll see them rise in price uh, in the next couple of years. The following year was the first year of 1,000 kilometres, 1973, with uh, Alan Moffat and the late Pete Gagan in the Ford Motor Company Falcon XA GT, of course, the, uh, the hard top taking over from the HO. Again, big numbers, but solid in terms of the... I think I've got the classic version of this car on the shelf somewhere downstairs here at the office. Uh, Bianchi did 6,000, Classic did 4,800, and they're, and they're both still pulling good money. Yeah, correct. Uh, I'm going to value that at around the $600 mark. Uh, again, the Bianchi has the signed uh, certificate by Alan. Uh, I do like the look of the classic collectible car it probably sits a little lower and um but but again both are excellent so uh that's one uh you got to have in your collection another xagt won the following year but it was the john goss kevin bartlett mcleod ford car it's got a bianti or the bianti version is signed by john goss on a certificate bianti with three thousand of those classic 1550 you can see there when it's not a Brock or Moffat Bathurst win that the numbers fall down in terms of production, but value is still solid given the, the era of that classic Aussie muscle car and the Bathurst period that so many people will remain in love with till the day they die. Yeah, correct. Look, like you say, lower lower overall production runs, but you know I'm going to value that one at 
about the seven hundred dollar mark. Uh, it's just a little harder to find. It's just less examples of them, and um, so you know that's kind of what I think what affects the price on that one. Seventy five. Brock was back with a victory uh, this time with the Gaunt Hindoff L thirty four Tirana with Brian Sampson. Six thousand made by Bianti Classics with a run of twenty one hundred. Uh, the Bianti one signed by by Peter on the certificate. Again, we're talking what about six hundred dollars? You'd value that one at too. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, six hundred, I think, is a fair price for for either example. Um, and again, they're very very close to in, in sort of detail and all that. So maybe the classic has a little bit more detail in it, being made years later and uh, with that little bit more uh, technology there. 76 was a win for Bob Morris and John Fitzpatrick in the Ron Hodgson L34. Big numbers by Bianti. They did 5,000 of that car. Classic with 1,500. Bianti's version is with the science certificate signed by Bob Morris. Again, it's pulling good numbers, even though it's not a, a Brock or Moffat car. And it was done in pretty solid numbers. Yeah, correct. Uh, again, value around the $600 mark. Uh, pretty, uh, you know emotional win that one so maybe um people still remember that and um you know very sought after when you think of sought after and bathurst and emotion 77 if you're a ford fan it is the glory golden race alan moffat jackie x with the win now if i'm right in remembering bianti only made that as a part of a twin set which was the number one and the number two cars together is that right yeah, that's correct. Uh, back in its day, um, they made a, an interesting number of them as well. They made 7,712 for 77.12. <laughs> I uh, get it. Signed, yeah, it was a lovely certificate uh, came signed by Alan Moffat and Colin Bond. And uh, that's pulling about $1,500 these days still. So not an easy one to find. Uh Classic Collectibles also produced um, it as a twin set and also as a single car. Now, this is a very popular model. Uh, so if you can find the Classic Collectible car on its own, you might pay around $800 for it. They also did a twin set and it came with a display base and like a, like a box that you could sort of sit behind it. And um, it's very well sort of... Presented and uh, I think about the twelve hundred dollar mark for for the classic collectible twin set would be fair. I'm doing mental notes in my mind at the moment, trying to picture downstairs here at the office what's in the cabinet. And so far, I think I've got most of these in one shape or the other. Probably more the classic versions that came out later, which meant I could buy them for not the same sort of huge price that the originals were were pulling. Um, to finish off with, it was a three-peat from Peter Brock, Jim Richard, 78, 79 and 80, two years of A9X Tiranas and, of course, the first of the Bathurst winning Commodores. 78, uh, Bianchi kept it in that numbering system that they'd kind of done with the, the Moffat car, so they made 7,800 of the 78 winning Tirana. Classics did a run of 3,400. The Bianchi one has the signed Brock certificate. But this one you think is a bit different in terms of the price between the two brands. Why so? Yeah, look, I have priced them differently. Um, you know, the Bianchi one was was an eight nine hundred dollar model many years ago. Uh, <clears throat> when Classics produced theirs, it obviously affected the price. So, I think the Bianchi one 
is still a, a fair price around the $500 mark being, being a signed certificate. Uh, classic collectibles, it's kind of still out there uh, around retail price still plus the plus your uh, the missing decals fitted. So I'd put that about the $350 mark for the classic collectible one. 79 winning car was a little bit different in that Bianti, uh, theirs came with a Brock figurine as well as the signed certificate. So even though they did 11,000 of that car, still pulling pretty good money in the classic version is not too bad either. Yeah, it was a great initiative of uh, Bianchi to add that driver figurine. I think they just kind of wanted to show a little bit more difference in people's cabinets from a 78 to a 79 car at a quick look. So, yeah, $700 I think is a, is a good sort of fair price for the Bianchi car with, with the figurine. Classic collectibles, uh, similar sort of scenario. Uh, it's not long been out in, in the scheme of things, so around the $350 mark will, will uh, be a fair price for, for the classic collectible version. And to finish off our second-hand market, our look at the, the 70s, we'll roll into the 80s. The first year of the 80s was the debut of the Commodore. Peter Brock, Jim Richards, the VC model HDT05. This is one of the very rare, in fact, I think it's the only one in the list that we've discussed so far that hasn't been produced by both companies. It's only been produced by Classic Collectibles in more recent years, 4,000 units. And of all of the single cars on the list, it's probably the most valuable. Just about. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so Classic Collectibles, yeah, made 4,000 of them. Hasn't been made by Bianchi at this point in time. Whether it will be in the future, it's, uh, it's, it's highly possible, but certainly nothing on the radar in the next couple of years there. So... Uh, finding the 1980 Bathurst winner can be uh, a little difficult, so I'm, I've put a, a neat $1,000 price tag on that one. Ker-ching, I believe the term is. I believe the term yeah. is. There you have it. That's our second-hand market. Next episode in a fortnight's time, we'll bowl through the 80s, so, of course, the Group C cars and the early part of the Group A era, which uh, the Jags and the Commodores and the Sierras that really came along then as well. So... Uh, keep those questions rolling in through the Motorfocus socials and website. Jump on the website, motorfocus.com.au, of course. Join the Collectors Club. We say it every podcast, but you really should do it. After all, 5% discount. What reason is there not to do it? That's the perfect one to absolutely get on board. You can check out the range of what's coming up, what's just in stock, what's been in stock for a little while. There's always a special or two on the board on the Motorfocus website. We'll be back in a fortnight's time, Dimitri, so swat up on those 80s Bathurst winners. Keep the questions rolling in and we'll do it again soon. Yeah, can't wait, Noons, and uh, thanks to you and the listeners. There you have it, episode 12, the Willpower edition of the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Ooh, should we skip episode 13? That could be unlucky in a fortnight's time. Yeah, look, uh, if uh, maybe we'll have to consider that for all the superstitious people out there. Maybe it could be episode 12A. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, let's play with that. I know that Triple Eight did that with when they were building their Falcon supercars in 2007, 2008. They went from chassis 10, 11, 12, 12A, 14. There is no Triple Eight <laughs> chassis 13. So uh, superstition is alive and well in motorsport. Thanks again for listening, everyone. That is the Motor Focus Model Podcast. We will chat to you again in a fortnight's time.